Let's turn in God's word to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4. The text for the sermon is verses 4 through 7. Due to the length of the text, I will not reread it. So I ask that you pay special attention to verses 4 through 7. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and longed for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Iodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord alway, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. 
all the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Thus far we read God's holy and inerrant word. May God bless the reading of the Holy Scriptures unto our hearts. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the command that is recorded for us in verse 4 of this text is a very difficult command. Command given unto us is to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. It is the temptation of the Christian when faced with such a command immediately to start thinking of excuses. He or she comes up with reasons why, in their mind, They are not able to rejoice in this particular circumstance in life. When one is sick, perhaps one is sick unto death and lies upon their deathbed. May the person in that circumstance say that there is an exception to the command Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. When there is a mighty struggle against sin, and when one feels that he is losing that struggle against sin, and the power of the devil and the power of the world are rising up against that individual, And he is ensnared with weaknesses. And that individual in that circumstance say with the Apostle Paul, I rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. And then not only is it the oppressed and the struggling and the downcast, who will struggle to fulfill and keep the command of this text. But on the other side, there also is the, we'll say, successful individual who is going to struggle mightily with keeping this text. The person who has food and clothing, the person who has a home and is prospering in his work, the person who has health and who feels that he is overcoming temptations in his or her life, that person too is going to have a difficult time rejoicing in the Lord. He will not have a hard time rejoicing. Oh, he will rejoice. But will he rejoice in the Lord? The command of this text is not... Rejoice in what you have done. Rejoice in your accomplishments. But the command of this text is rejoice in the Lord. 
Let's consider this text under the theme, Rejoicing in the Lord Always. First, we'll consider the obstacle. Looking at that phrase in verse 6, Be careful for nothing. Second, we'll see the remedy that God provides for our carefulness. And then third, we'll see the fruit. Looking at verse 7, the peace of God that passes understanding. One significant obstacle that prevents us from rejoicing in the Lord always is our carefulness. Verse 6 prohibits this. It says, be careful for nothing. Careful, used here by the inspired writer, must be understood carefully. Carefulness is not the same thing as being cautious. We might instruct a child getting close to the hot stove, be careful, that is, don't reach out and touch that hot stove top. That's not the sense here in which the Apostle Paul uses the word careful. Nor with the word careful does he communicate here showing care or compassion unto someone else. He's not prohibiting the Christian from understanding the trials that other go through and then revealing unto that person compassionate care for the hardships that they must bear up under. But rather the sense in which the Apostle speaks of carefulness is in the old English usage of the word and it means to be anxious, to be filled with fears or with worries. To be careful, as the word careful is used in this text, is to have an emotion that rises up inside of someone's heart and someone's mind. And the emotion that rises up is that of fear and anxiety. Because carefulness is an emotion, it is thus invisible to the neighbor standing next to us. The neighbor might be able to see some of the effects of that emotion as that emotion rises up within us, but it is not so easy to detect that the physical eye can behold it. Oftentimes, though, that fear, that emotion of carefulness that rises up within us does reveal itself in different ways to those who are around us. We'll list a few different ways here in which one can see this revealed in the lives of even ourselves. Oftentimes when we think of the anxious person, we might think of the one who is perhaps nervously biting on his fingernails, one whose eyes are wide open, alert, darting, around one whose eyes cannot stay focused on the material in front of him. Oftentimes when we think of the anxious or careful person, what comes to mind is the biblical example of Martha, who is fretting about in her home, scurrying around, taking care of this, taking care of the next thing, busily trying to prepare for Jesus Christ as he came to visit. 
And although that can be the case, that anxiety or carefulness can reveal itself in that way, we ought not to limit our understanding of carefulness simply to the anxious person nervously biting the fingernails. There's another way in which anxiety reveals itself. Oftentimes the anxious person is the inactive person. In verse 9, the Apostle Paul commands us to be busy doing those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. But the anxious person says, I cannot do. I know I am supposed to be busy cleaning the home, caring for the children, going to work, preparing meals. I know I am, I know I have this responsibility but I cannot. It could be that earlier in life this person was able to carry out responsibilities and tasks. That earlier on this individual was industrious, but then incrementally, perhaps even without the individual noticing this, the fear of facing the responsibilities of the day became so great to that individual that he, he or she is able to perform less and less. This is a particularly difficult place for the anxious person to be. Because even though the person is not completing what he wants to do, yet the list of responsibilities still remains, and it even gets larger as time goes on. And thus it then can result in a downward spiral of that individual as he becomes all the more anxious about the ever-increasing list of responsibilities. What else does anxiety or carefulness look like? For some, carefulness reveals itself by wantonness or excessiveness. Verse 5, we are told, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. It can oftentimes happen that a person who is overcome with carefulness loses their ability to show moderation. Not necessarily that the individual is involved in bad things, but the individual loses the ability to be balanced, to be moderate in life. Something as good as sleep, for example, the anxious person can fall into one of two extremes, either the extreme of wanting to sleep all of the time, or on the other hand, not being able to sleep. Food. Perhaps he or she becomes hungry all of the time and can never be satisfied. Or the anxious person has no appetite at all. 
Same can be true for alcohol consumption, for a desire for physical intimacy, or even with regard to one's desire to be by other people, either constantly needing to be by other people or constantly hiding from other people. Carefulness has an impact on one's spiritual life. Jehovah God, who watches over our souls and who cares for our souls, commands us, be careful for nothing. He forbids fearfulness in this text. This is not to say that in every circumstance of life when one experiences that emotion of fear that it's necessarily sinful for that individual. God is the one who created us with that capacity of having that emotion of fear within us and there are times where God uses that emotion for even the preservation of human life. If one is walking down a trail at nighttime, it's dark out. And then he hears a, lar- a rustling of some large animal in the bushes along the roadside. And then he can make out under the moonlight a large beast that comes out of the woods. That individual does well to have the emotion of fear and run out of there. So this is not to say that in every circumstance it's wrong to have the emotion of fear that rises up in one's heart. But the reality is, most of the time that we experience fear, it's not because there is some physical wild animal that we are approaching on the midnight trail. Rather, the reason we respond with fear is because we struggle to trust in God. That's why he says, be careful for nothing. God understands that fear and anxiety impact our spiritual life, usually in a negative way. What is the impact that carefulness has on our spiritual walk with the Lord? It's this, beloved. It would prevent us from leaning upon, from trusting in Jehovah God. Verse 7 tells us that the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus, through Christ Jesus. Anxiety, carefulness, would do the exact opposite. Instead of our hearts and our minds being kept through Christ Jesus, anxiety would have us wander away from Jesus Christ. It would have our mind lose focus on what is truly 
important, and it would have our mind wander around, around like the sheep who has gotten out of the sheepfold. The mind being preoccupied with the cares and concerns of this world will struggle to be alert to the wiles, the methods of the devil. And so it is then that because one is preoccupied with the cares and concerns of this world, that then when a moment of temptation comes so quickly that careful person then falls into sin. Someone is at work. Someone is having a busy day at work. There's a heavy responsibility. It's been a stressful day. And then another co-worker comes along and critiques the work that you've done and you respond in a moment of frustrated anger at that person. A mother in the home has been caring for her children. The one child has been fussy for hours on end. And then the second child comes along and asks mom a favor. And mom snaps at the second child. But it's more beloved than simply having words come off of our lips, which we later regret. There's more to the seriousness than simply saying things that we know we ought not to say. The goal of the devil in working through anxiety is to draw us from Jehovah God himself. That's the goal of the devil. The devil understands that there is great power in carefulness. And the devil knows that if he can day by day have a person live in anxiety and carefulness, that he can then incrementally lead that person away from Jehovah God so that instead of that individual's heart and mind being kept through Christ Jesus, his Lord and his Savior, that individual's mind is more and more kept by the devil. What the devil is after is your worship. How can you worship God if your mind is preoccupied with anxiety and with the cares and concerns of this world? The devil understands that. And the devil who does not want glory and honor to be given unto God works relentlessly to have the minds of God's people be filled with carefulness so that when you come to church on Sunday, you're not able to worship God in spirit and in truth. You see, beloved, the seriousness of carefulness. It's a weighty burden to be sure. It's a burden that can drag somebody down day after day after day. But more serious than what it does to us personally is what it does to our relationship with God. How then will we, we, will we be able to rejoice in the Lord. 
It is our human nature to be careful, to be anxious. There are countless different things that would make us careful. How then is it possible to rejoice in the Lord always? And again I say, rejoice. God in his loving care for us not only prohibits carefulness, but God also provides the remedy for carefulness. Describes the remedy in the second half of verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Prayer, that is the remedy that God gives unto his people. Prayer, which is holy conversation with Jehovah God. It's a distinctly covenantal activity as friends come and speak one to another. Prayer is you going unto Jehovah God, lifting up your praise unto Him, lifting up your thanksgiving, your words of thanksgiving unto Him, asking Him for the pardon of sins, and as well lifting up your supplications or your requests unto him. The apostle speaks in this verse specifically of supplication, but with everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Supplication is a specific aspect of the Christian's prayer. It's in supplication that we bring unto God what are the requests, the holy desires that we have in our, in our heart and on our mind. But one then might well ask the question, and it's a good question, how do I get from the first phrase of this verse to the second phrase of this verse? The first phrase be careful for nothing. The second phrase, pray. And everything with prayer and supplication, make your request known unto God. How do I go from understanding that I ought not to be anxious and proceeding unto lifting up my petitions to God in prayer? You see, the reality is oftentimes it feels as though there is a wall, a d divide. The anxious person has a difficult time praying to God. At times, the person might be so overcome with fears and concerns that the individual feels, I cannot pray unto God. I know that I must. I recognize the biblical command is there. Go to God in prayer but what if I am so overburdened with a particular trial in life that I feel that I cannot go unto God's throne of grace and lift up my supplications unto Him? How do we go from the first part of the verse to the second part of the verse? And there's no simple answer to this. I don't want to be simplistic. But two things I offer to you 
as help and encouragement to go from that point of anxiety unto the point of lifting up your supplications. Number one, the elders. See, James talks about this. A man who is overcome with sickness, whether that be a physical sickness or whether that be a spiritual sickness, that individual is overcome with sickness, then James' instruction is let him call for the elders and have the elders of the church pray for that individual. There could be times where one reaches such a low spot in his life that that becomes absolutely necessary. You are given opportunities, you will be given opportunities with family visitation to give to the elders the cares, the concerns that weigh down upon your souls. Do not refuse these men, but go unto them. Open yourself to their care, their oversight, in order that they might lift up your supplications to God. Second, how does one go from a point of carefulness unto the point of praying to God? I suggest unto you, beloved, journaling. Taking a pen and a paper and writing down what are the specific cares, concerns, fears that rise up in one's heart and in one's mind? We are dealing here with matters of the heart. God, according to verse 7, keeps our heart and our minds, and the devil we know wants our heart and our minds. We need some way for the heart to be able to give expression to what it is feeling. And oftentimes, one of the best ways to be able to give voice to the emotions of the heart is by taking pen and paper and writing down what one is feeling at that moment in time. The text tells, tells us to bring your requests with prayer and supplication, let your requests. You're not bringing here the request of your neighbor, although there are other times where we do pray for the neighbor and are exhorted to pray for the neighbor. But this text is not telling you it's your duty to pray for the neighbor. This text is telling you you have to make known your requests. Make these known unto God. How loving and how gracious is our God. How amazing that He comes to you, His people, and God says, tell me what your requests are. Make them known unto me. It's not as if God doesn't already understand what our petitions are. 
It's not as if God is standing there at the door of our heart, knocking, hoping that we will open up our hearts unto him, and only upon us opening up our hearts unto him, then he will be permitted the ability to understand and see what is in our hearts. It's not that Jehovah God faces the same frustration that parents oftentimes face in raising up children. When the, child, when the child is crying inconsolably and the child cannot be soothed or comforted, the parent wishes that he could understand what is the cause for the child's tears, and yet so oftentimes the parent does not know. Jehovah God has no such limitations as he looks at his people. His eye searches the hearts of all of his children. He knows our frame already. It's not as if God then is waiting for us to tell him what our requests are. But the reason why Jehovah God in this text says, make your requests known unto God is because Jehovah God knows that this is good for you. It's because God cares for you, his children. And God knows that it is for the benefit of your soul to open up unto him with the cares that otherwise would burden you down. And so God, who is the good shepherd of his sheep, commands in everything, we don't pick and choose when, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. God, the Mighty One, the One who created light and darkness, male and female, the One who shaped our hearts and our minds. Jehovah God, who makes himself known to his people through the word in flesh, Jesus. Jesus, who knows what it is to be tempted, who in the garden of Gethsemane confessed that his soul was exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Jesus, who in obedience to the Divine Father was careful for nothing, but in everything made His requests known unto His Father. Jesus, who died that we might be delivered from that final enemy of death, who on the cross prayed to the Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now this God, lovingly, gently, comes to his own and says, Speak to me. Make your requests known. I will hear. What fruit does God provide graciously as we make these requests known unto him? 
We might hope that the fruit that God would give unto us would be deliverance from our earthly trial. If our petition to God was for health and for strength, for the softening of a hard heart, then of course our hope would be that God would grant us those very petitions. If we prayed for recovery from an injury, for healing, for the ability to pay the bills, then our hope would be that God would, that the fruit would be that God would give us the ability to do those very things. But the text tells us the fruit, and the fruit is not always necessarily that God grants our very petitions, but the fruit, according to the eighth verse, or seventh verse, is peace. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Peace, which is the opposite of enmity. Peace, which is the opposite of carefulness and anxiety. Peace, which is the blessed state of harmony in one's heart and in one's soul. Peace, which is the gift of God, who graciously, through Jesus Christ, bestows this gift upon His people. The peace that God gives unto us is powerful and it is dynamic. The text describes for us the power of this peace. Peace has ability. The ability of peace is the ability to preserve. The peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Peace keeps you. It keeps you in and it keeps you from. It keeps you from the devil who goes forth as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It keeps you from the world which seeks to entice and promises happiness and security to the anxious individual. It keeps you from the temptations and the lusts of one's own flesh. That's the power of peace. It keeps your heart and your mind through Jesus Christ. And it keeps you, on the other hand, in. It keeps you in a covenant relationship with Jehovah God, your Creator and your Redeemer. It keeps you in Jesus Christ by that power, that bond of faith who purchased you with his own shed blood. Keeps you in that relationship with God so that you are maintained in fellowship and communion with him. What amazing power there is in peace. Peace has the ability to do what nothing else or no one else upon this earth can do. No earthly individual can keep your heart and your mind through Jesus Christ. Your parents certainly desire that your heart and mind be kept. The elders, your minister, desire that you be preserved in your salvation but neither your parents nor the office bearers of the church can 
preserve you in your salvation. For what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peace keeps your hearts and your minds. That's why the text says that this peace passes all understanding. Who can fathom the riches, the power of God in peace. As God gives unto us this fruit of peace, we are made able to rejoice in the Lord always. There's gladness in our hearts. Gladness that is unique to the child of God. There's rejoicing that the child of God enjoys, which the man of the world does not enjoy. It's a rejoicing that the child of God has, even when the conditions of life are not what the child of God would want them to be. There's a rejoicing that does not depend upon outward success, prosperity, health, or strength, but there's a rejoicing that comes when one is in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice because you are in the Lord. Rejoice because God in His love sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you in order that you might be incorporated into his home and into his fellowship. Rejoice, because you forever will be in the Lord. When at last, through death, you are taken from this earth, even then, you are able to rejoice. For you believe, that at that moment of death, you will be taken by the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ himself across that Jordan River into the land promised unto you, and there you will be forever in the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we come unto Thee with thanksgiving unto Thee for Thy compassionate, loving care unto us. We thank Thee for giving unto us the means to speak unto Thee in prayer. Wilt Thou strengthen us so to be able to do. Father, even when we come unto Thee in weakness of faith, even when we know not how to pray as we ought, we plead of Thee for Jesus' sake. Would Thou receive our prayers as a sweet-smelling incense unto Thee. Would Thou hear and answer and grant us peace that passes understanding. Amen. Amen.